I'd like to thank Motley Fool for sponsoring this episode. I've said before on ads that looking after yourself financially gets harder and harder with the cost of everything going up. Being a tight Scotsman, I use every method I can possible to save a little here or make the most of what I have there. Motley Fool is one way that you can definitely look to maximise your income from investments. The age of stock picking is here with towering inflation and elevating interest rates. Sticking your money in a passive market just isn't going to get you what it used to but it doesn't mean you have to abandon the market there are still ways to invest for the future you just need to know where to look which is where the motley fool comes in the motley fool stock advisor service highlights two stocks each and every month for members to add to their portfolios and it literally is paid to listen to them historically their average stock recommendation is up over 400 percent as of april 10th 2023 and listeners of That UFO Podcast can now access Motley Fool Stock Advisor for just $89 for their first year, a full $110 off the list price. What are you waiting for? Visit fool.com forward slash that UFO. That's F-O-O-L dot com slash T-H-A-T-U-F-O to start your investing journey today. discount off of $199 per year list price. Membership will renew annually at the then current list price. I am George Knapp listening to that UFO podcast and having one hell of a good time. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy and for a change I'm not going to introduce the guest because I'm not entirely sure how to introduce the guest best. Uh, Many of you have been excited for this show. I announced it a couple of weeks ago but due to various different things and and everyone's personal lives we've had to reschedule but I am delighted to welcome all the way from the hollowed halls of UFO Twitter and his own (laughs) Substack account. I have Tiny Klaus or Klaus, how are you doing mate? Hey man, how's it going? Good to be it's here. It's going well. It's good to have you on. People were very excited when I said you were going to come on the podcast and albeit I think that was two months ago to the day <laughs> almost that I said that was going to happen. But listen, here we are. These things happen for a reason. Um, yeah. I've said I'm not sure how to introduce you because I was thinking, do you say social media commentator? Do you say blogger? Do you say researcher? Or how, how would you introduce yourself to an audience who may be listening wondering who is this guy? Um, I would say writer, first and foremost. Um, yeah, I just kind of started started writing on Reddit a couple of years ago. I um, you know, started really digging into the UFO thing. I had been interested in it for a while. Um, I had some sightings and kind of a paranormal experience um, back in like 2013 that really kind of, you know, was made an impression on me. But um, it was only like, about three years ago now that I started really digging into like the theories and stuff like that. Um, and you know, when Elizondo was doing all his interviews and, uh, it really kind of caught my attention that someone as serious as him was saying the things that he was saying, uh, you know, and I don't know, it really just kind of like, was like, okay, this is, this is pretty, pretty intense stuff. So I kind of just started researching and, um, Posting on Reddit, RUFOs, it was kind of the place where I, you know, put all my thoughts, basically. I would, um, you know, watch interviews and kind of take, you know, the breadcrumbs, the quote-unquote breadcrumbs that he laid out. Yeah. And um, just try to connect them to uh, certain things that were more tangible, 
um, you know, science articles or stuff, you know, other people have said that that checked out and just kind of, uh, you know, put pieces together that otherwise, you know, people wouldn't have um, on their own. Well, that's it. I think for me, for anyone listening, wondering again, still, who is this guy? And many of the social media f- followers will know you because you're, you're very prominent on there. You have like 31,000 followers are, and counting on Twitter, you know, which is a hell of a lot. And for me, I started noticing your tweets and in that form of the breadcrumbs, breadcrumbs and the research and a statement's yeah. been made in an interview by Jim Semivan. And the next thing I would see, it would be your Twitter timeline would be filled with excerpts from a book from Valet or a comment from Gary Nolan somewhere. And actually, Lou Elizondo said this in an interview. Mm-hmm. And in your Twitter headline and on this podcast the episode, it says patterns tell stories. And it's just like you say, putting those pieces together that, you know, this isn't an isolated statement someone made. Mm-hmm. There's a background, there's a context here. And for folk like myself, that's that's incredible because I can look at that and go, ah, that's that's a really great talking point. Or that's really interesting. And it's a place to jump off of and dig more into the subject. And that was always really appreciated and helped uh, helpful for people like myself um and from there signing up to your Substack and your articles are incredibly well researched the you know all of that is, is a gold mine for a podcaster so thank you for me um <laughs> so your own background you mentioned some of your own experiences how far back does your interest go in this topic um so i guess so back in um high school i I was a quote unquote, like troubled teen. So I went to a uh, wilderness program, um, therapeutic uh, wilderness program. And that was kind of my first sighting um, was in the, in the woods there in Utah. Um, and it was just kind of like a star moving in the sky. It got like big and kind of just shot off and, you know, uh, one of those. And then, you know, I kind of didn't think about it for a long time, mm-hmm. um, but uh and it, after that like in college and stuff i had another sighting that was more um vivid i guess uh and i had it with another person who was in the car with me so that was very validating um in what way it's kind of uh just that you like i had someone else my roommate um was there you know just to experience it with um it was we were driving home from a party and uh, it was a gray metallic disc with with like really, you know, uh, neon green on the outside of the disc, and it kind of came down the windshield uh, very slowly, so it was, you could tell it was kind of far away. Uh, and then it kind of hovered there; it was about five hundred feet away from the car, and then it just shot off. Um, and then we just looked at each other, and you know, it was like, "What the hell?" Uh, so that was kind of, you know, an experience you have with someone else was much different than me just seeing something by myself in the sky, like wondering if I was, you know, seeing things or something like that, like having someone else there to, uh, you know, kind of talk about it and just check to make sure you're not going crazy. Um, Can I ask, cause this, this interests me, um, whenever someone has an experience with someone else, mm-hmm. what was the conversation like immediately after? Was it a conversation? Was it, oh, let's put the radio back on and head home? <laughs> um, yeah, it was just like, what the what the F was that, you know? Um, and then just asking asking each other over and over, that was a UFO, right? Like that, I mean, it wasn't much more than that because, um, you know, and it, it kind of just turned into, you know, we just watched 
ancient aliens all the time and and kind of got you know into it like that uh just still casual but like i started looking up like uh you know there's a face on mars and and that kind of thing uh you know because that kinda... sounds like myself that's, that's yeah. Familiar. yeah 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 so i'm like yeah let's dig into this a little deeper but nothing nothing past like you know the the youtube uh videos that were like in a rabbit hole, theories. you know, yeah, yeah. The ra- mm-hmm. you go down the rabbit hole, you start looking up various links and tweets or YouTube yeah. videos, and I think for me, it, it got to the point I was watching the Andrew Bassiaggio videos of um, jump Mars jump rooms and him and President Obama's kids, you know, going back and forward in time. And it's and for anyone who's went what, yeah, I've, I've mentioned him before <laughs> on this, but look up Andrew D. Bassiaggio. Um, I I don't know that one. I have to check it out. That's, um, that sounds has, wild. Yeah, his talks, I don't think he's done anything for a while due to ill health, but it, it was one of those like pinch of salt things. And mm-hmm. if you listen to this and you believe what he says, fantastic. But at one point, he was due to be president in 2020, then 2022 or 24, whatever it was. The last couple of elections, he was due to be president and his claims, but the timeline changed. Um, So it's one of those pinch of salt, incredible if true. Um, yeah. But really, we would need Barack Obama to come forward and confirm that he did do this as a kid with this guy. Um, but yeah, oh, it was man. that it was that deep rabbit hole for me growing yeah. up and watching this stuff and going, wow, imagine that was true. And then, then you mm-hmm. find the Linda Moulton Howe stuff where she's talking about, I have this story from a Marine who, you know, served under the ice of the Antarctic and this is what they yep. said's happening. And all that stuff that gets really deep. And we're going to go there. We're going to go to Atlantis soon in this conversation as well. Um, through well, through, a, through a mutual friend, you know, if you want to call him that. Um, mm-hmm. A friend of everyone's, I suppose. But who do you look up to in this topic? Because you you retweet and tweet and write about a lot of big names and big ideas. Uh, and being someone similar age to myself, who are some of the names you look at and go, these are the, these are the men, the women, these are the individuals that for me are worth listening to? Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I said, when I was writing on Reddit, Elizondo was, um, he was someone that I trusted and I still, I still trust, uh, why, you know. why Lou? Uh, cause he had, he had the credentials. Um, you know, before that was it Greer, who was the, you know, main voice, trusted voice, Probably, yeah. you know, um, so this guy steps out and, uh, you know, he's an actual government official. Um, and I, you know, if I had seen something that made me question, um, you know, where his story essentially, uh, I, I would have just moved on, you know, I don't, and that, and that's happened with certain people in this field and that I just don't, you know, they've said or done something that makes me go, eh. And then I, I don't really, um, you know, include them in, in my research anymore. Um, but with Elizondo, he, he's never given me a reason to doubt, you know, what he says. I mean, there's been, you know, the sock puppet, whatever that was, was just whatever to me. Like you got to defend your family and shit like that. But yeah. uh, besides that, I haven't, I haven't seen anything to make me think, uh, otherwise um, when it comes to trusting him so the, you um, mentioned names you've moved on from in terms of research is yeah. there anyone in particular <laughs> not, that, not that it's you know mudslinging or throwing throwing shade at people as the kids say these days but was there anyone because i think that's a natural thing in this topic and it's fine that you have 
I've always said about allowing your opinion to be fluid, and I think you have to in this topic. And sometimes you'll be proven wrong, or people you look up to will be proven wrong, and it's fine to look and go. Actually, I used to believe this, or I used to be in this camp, and I've moved over to this one now. So, is that what happened with yourself? And and would you say maybe who it was? Yeah, I mean, it's it's actually very very recent. <laughs> okay. Um. That so yeah, it's like a fresh wound, but um, and I know you. I think you just had him on, but uh, I, I've I've come to question some of the stuff John Ramirez has said. Um, okay, that's, that, that's fair. Yeah. Um, just uh, yeah, the thing with the alien doll where he was doing an interview, um, and then the the Anjali stuff is uh, yeah, it's that's a big one tough. for people. Uh, the Anjali Association, uh, I know. And after John was on, and listen, I've said John's a lovely guy to speak yeah. to, and he's been very gracious with his time with me. And I, I brought that up with him on the show to say, you know, there's a lot of people that the Anjali stuff really turns off if the claims you make aren't incredible enough. And it was fair, and he went there. He didn't tell me not to ask, and yeah. um, hopefully, I probed enough that people were happy with it. But yeah, I, I think that's still a massive disconnect for me with mm-hmm. that relationship and association um, yeah so that's that's fair comment yeah i mean it's not he's he probably has the most <clears throat> sorry he probably has the most knowledge out of anyone i've ever heard talk about you know the cia and the programs and, mm. and, the, and the you know the different departments and what they do and the, and the sensors and stuff like that he he has um a really deep knowledge of that and that's obviously what made him seem credible in, in a lot of people's eyes and including my own. And, um, but the recent stuff has just been like, kind of, yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to square that with, um, with, with the credibility that this topic really needs right now. Uh, Everyone's got a line and I think that's mm-hmm. fair. And I've had it exactly. on, on listener call in shows or with guests and I've got my own lines and they move now and again as well. Um, I've said before, I, I struggle with a lot of the orb conversations and people yeah. send me videos and stuff and I say, it looks like <laughs> dust. It looks like a bug. It yeah. probably is, you know, but uh, who am I to question that? I've had my own sightings that I've no proof of. It's just testimony, just my word against someone yeah. else's. Um, a lot of respected names have made some huge claims recently, um, none more so than, than Gary Nolan at the SALT conference just last mm-hmm. week, I think it was, um, where he said on stage, among many claims, he's 100% sure we're, we're being visited by a non-human intelligence. What goes through your mind when you hear uh, a Gary Nolan, a Tom DeLonge, you know, in the sense that he is a world-famous rock star, multi-millionaire mm-hmm. rock star and entrepreneur, a Jim Semivan, you know, with his credentials and background, making some of the incredible claims they are or on big public stages and platforms. Yeah. So that's, um, I mean, that's kind of what a lot of my writing encompasses is these, you know, credible individuals, um, in my opinion. So if that I can understand why people, um, are skeptical about the claims these people are making because they're, they're huge. Um, and, you know, as of right now, you know, there hasn't been, you know, definitive, definitive evidence of, of a lot of these claims basically. And, um, but I mean, it's, you know, for example, Gary Nolan saying that at the, at the salt conference, that's a, that's a pretty serious venue. Um, you know, it, especially for someone who is known, um, who's, you know, he's, 
invested in in biotech companies and you know he he works in that in that arena a lot he's yeah. a, you know tw- top 20 inventor at stanford um which is no and that you know that's part of the credibility i, I think that lends him like he he knows what he's talking about he i don't think he would put that on the line um you know if if he wanted someone to invest with him in something important ever again why would he go on stage in new york city at this giant conference and say something that's just so un- untrue if it is untrue you know it's yeah gary it's, nolan has a lot to lose or has yeah, a lot to lose and exactly. like you say his credentials his background the he doesn't need to go begging to the ufo community for money mm-hmm. you know he could write a book if he wanted to about ufos and make yeah. some money but gary nolan has a huge list of accomplishments behind him he's a serious guy he'll be well funded given his immunology research and all that as well he doesn't need to sit on a stage like you say in a serious venue and talk about ufos and aliens um, right. avatars all that kind of stuff because you're going to get the side eye in those venues aren't you that what is this guy really saying what we think he's saying uh, we're talking as that NASA conference is wrapping up, obviously, as yeah, well. And they, they sadly opened up the NASA conference, mentioning the abuse that the panel had received. Yeah. And that wouldn't be from UFO Twitter, I would imagine. I think that's from your other academics and other scientists who, like we saw with Avi Loeb that time on the infamous Zoom call, where mm-hmm. one of his colleagues just, the, I can't remember the woman's name, she just kicked off at him, really unhappy that he was entertaining the notion of UFOs and aliens. Yeah. And a few other people backed her up on this call. And I imagine that's what's happening to these panels as well. So to make a long-winded point, a Gary Nolan doesn't need that hassle. He doesn't need to put himself out there. Right. But he he believes in this subject. And if he was going to quote-unquote grift, I'm sure there are many other other arenas Gary Nolan could have chose <laughs> yeah. to have done that would have been a lot more fruitful than sure. UFO social media. Yeah, and, and you know... Skeptics always talk about Occam's razor. And when it comes to grifting, like what makes the most sense? Like someone would just like throw their career in the, in the trash or their credibility or, um, you know, just for what, <laughs> just to talk about aliens on a stage in New York. Like it just doesn't make sense. What makes sense is that there's something to this. And, um, you know, he's trying to tell people about it because he's been closer than anyone else has, um, and has the ability to actually understand, uh, you know, what, what's going on behind the scenes and try to communicate that. So I don't know. I mentioned Tom DeLong and, um, you very jealously, uh, received a retweet and endorsement from Mr. DeLong a while back. Um, you've tweet a lot of his stuff though. Um, yeah. I, I say, think it's safe to say you're somewhat of a fan of Tom's. Um, that may be his music, um, but it also is his work in the UFO field. Um, I'm sure like many, there are sometimes things he's said or done where you've went, oh, I don't know about that. And and I'm going to ask you about Atlantis stuff soon because I think that's some of his wilder mm-hmm. conversations. But um, what draws you to Tom DeLong and his statements? You know, you mentioned the Lou Elizondo, his credibility, yep. his background, a Gary Nolan, the credibility of the background. And then you've got, Tom DeLong of What's My Age Again fame. Yep. Um, so Tom, yeah, let's do a full disclosure here. He's like the reason I play guitar. He is, um, he's always been, you know, a hero to me, actually. I, I actually got to go backstage to a, at a Blink-182 concert back when in, in eighth grade, I think. <laughs> and uh, I got to meet Mark, but, but not Tom, unfortunately. So um, that was... That was pretty cool. So yeah, I'm, I was definitely a Blink fan. I, um, you know, 
have always like loved his music and stuff. And, uh, but I honestly, I got super pissed off when he, when he started doing this UFO stuff and like quit blink and all that stuff. So I was, I kind of like didn't care about him for a while. <laughs> like, okay, yeah. like, you're, you're kind of a dick. Angels and airwaves is okay, but whatever. Um, I actually enjoy them, but, uh, and to be fair, if you ever look at some of Tom's tweets, 90% of the replies are, or where blink fans <laughs> saying, will you please yep. get back with blink? Will you please get back with blink? So as much as his UFO statements were wonderful for anyone on UFO social media, 90% or more of the comments were angsty teenage fans or grown up fans asking them to get back with blink. And we've got that wish now. So, but yeah, yeah. I, I can see why. Yeah. And so that, that's also, you know, and I was listening to, to Lou for a while before I kind of even took Tom's um, stuff into consideration. It's not like mm-hmm. a fanboy of Tom and then latched on to his every word. It's like, I kind of, you know, took the you know, the more upfront, credible government official, like, okay, there's something to this. And then I kind of dipped a little bit into what Tom was saying. And then the whole story about him writing the first secret machines book, and then, you know, basically the CIA kind of freaking out and being like, who told him all this classified information? I'm like, oh, okay, that's, there's something there. His advisors, you know, knew enough to, uh, you know, uh, guide him in certain directions where it caught the attention of uh, intelligence services. So uh, there's probably something to this. And he probably has people talking to him that, uh, you know, are are familiar with a lot of this stuff and, and what's actually happening. So that, that, that's kind of what gave him the credibility at first in my eyes was who he was around. Um, and you know, the reaction to his book. And then obviously the biggest thing was the, uh, John Podesta email leak. Yeah. That he was, you know, proven to be in communication with really high up government officials about this stuff. And, there was some sort of plan to get this information out. And, um, you know, obviously what's, what's happened since then has been, you know, kind of a bummer, but, um, those, those emails were pretty clear about, about what was happening behind the scenes with, with Tom. That was huge. The paper trail that came out from mm-hmm. the WikiLeaks stuff. And do you know what, to be fair, uh, nothing against it. Like, you know, John Greenwald, who I'm a patron of his, I've said that before, full transparency. Mm-hmm. I, I like a lot of John's work. Don't always agree with him. And I said that to him when I interviewed him. But if that paper trail wasn't there, there would yeah. be huge question marks over Tom DeLong's claims of who he was in touch with. Mm-hmm. And that sort of quashed that instantly because you can't, you can question a lot of Tom DeLong and his motives and the statements and what he's done and how he's done it. But you can't question that background because right. that's all there for people to see. And that, that, that was quite a good thing for Tom. Are, are there any particular statements to put you on the spot that Tom made that really stood out or stand out to you as wow or even like you mentioned elements of the secret machines book uh, and again i'm still working my way through the audiobook of that um shamefully enough it's been about six months now um <laughs> yeah it's a no it's definitely a kind of complicated book there's like 10 different characters and they all like intertwine and all that yeah. stuff but uh, um i mean specifically i think so the, the first book is pretty nuts and bolts, you know, like yep. craft, um, programs, you know, uh, breakaway civilization, international conglomerates, uh, you know, intelligence, 
you know, agents, um, assassinations, that kind of thing. And, mm-hmm. But the second book is, is a bit more, uh, you know, out there. <laughs> um, so that, that one's more hard to figure out, um, what, what's real and what's not. It's harder to yeah. pick, pick apart, um, you know, the things that, that we might, you know, seem, cause a lot of it's weird. Uh, definitely like it, it goes into stuff that like Jacques Vallée talks about, mm-hmm. um, where with the mo- more like folklore type stuff, um, like fairy rings and, and pretty out there stuff. Um, so I really do enjoy that. It's harder to, uh, you know, piece together in, in a comprehensive way, like relating to, you know, the current UFO push and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I like entertaining those ideas. And, and again, that's kind of what I do is I try to like figure out how is this applicable? And it's not really applicable yet, at least with what we know in the public sphere when it comes to, um, when it comes to UFOs. But uh, yeah, I, li- I like that kind of stuff more. Um, but as far as what Tom, Tom says, I think, you know, the concept of the Greek gods um, being a major part of the phenomenon, essentially it's the end of the, of, of the first book, which I guess I'll kind of spoil for you. I was going to say, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I kind of know some spoilery bits, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, essentially it's, you know, the Greek gods like left and their equipment was left here and now we have it and we're trying to reverse engineer it. And essentially it's very ancient alien E in that way. Um, yeah. So that, that's kind of um, a very interesting thing you can you can dive into and make connections with uh do you think taking that that at face value then that the greek gods as they're written mm-hmm. and talked about in our society that that happened do you think tom's taken something he's heard and put it out there or do you think there's a creative license used where tom's heard or been told something along those lines and he's basically made it like many say about the bob lazar story there's a lot of truth there but a lot of a lot of bs and if you just tell enough lies in with the truth then you can get away with it do you think that's what tom's done with the books whether deliberate or not um could be you know I, who knows um but i tend to think I, th- I tend to think there's something to it um you know but uh, one of my one of my um uh, articles i wrote it, it kind of asks like where, where does mythology end and history begin? Yeah. Like, why would they make all this stuff up just for, you know, stories to, they're just stories, you know, that yeah. like to, to tell, um, to teach morals and stuff like that. Um, which I guess is totally possible, but, uh, why did they all of a sudden stop telling stories and start writing history as it, as it was like it, um, I feel like, and then, you know, they're, they're fine. They found Troy, which was a myth forever. So Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it, it doesn't make sense to me why they would just be, you know, basing stories off nothing, I guess. Hi everyone. If you listen to the podcast on an Apple device, you can support directly by going on to Apple podcasts and clicking the subscribe button. And for less than the price of a coffee per month, you can get 
early access to episodes, episodes in full, and no adverts or sponsorships like this one you're hearing now. It also supports directly to me at the podcast, so thank you very much. Also, don't forget to go and leave the podcast on Apple a five-star review and make sure you click the follow button too. Thanks. I think some of Tom's stuff, and I love reading Tom's stuff, and one day we'll get him on the podcast, but the Atlantis tweets always stood out to me when Tom done his, I think it was seven tweets, you know, what if yeah. Atlantis was a you know real a real place and wasn't just a story? And what if there was a civilization here before us? And where do you go with that? Do you think again is that the line for you? Because obviously I try and work out where someone's line is. You mentioned John Ramirez and Jarley, and that's the point you kind of go, nah, not for me, thanks. Do you buy into even that element of is that what you're talking about with lore and mythology that maybe this was real and the story just got lost or twisted down the line? Yeah, so I I definitely entertain that fact. And it's a very almost uh, dangerous um, line there with, you know, the Nazis themselves were, were looking for this, the, like, evidence of this lore. So yeah. it's it can get into really uh, dark territory. And um, it's unfortunately tainted by... Uh, you know, that kind of thing where their intentions are obviously pretty evil yeah. um, when it comes to that. But, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. I think, I think there's something to it and um, I'm, I'm not going to ever make any claims that where there's no evidence to back it up, but I think it's, it's definitely fun to speculate and talk about. Um, but, you know, it's, again, there's, there's no, evidence except for you know pretty um yeah like the ancient alien kind of thing but i think i think tom does it in a different way that's more uh um, from a well-informed place yeah it's i mean so think about it this way like that that second book right was um was released and, and lou elizondo was sitting at the table with him while he was signing copies copies of it so yeah. it's like Obviously, there's, you know, there's some sort of endorsement there uh, from him in in some way. It's just kind of you got to look at it from like, OK, who is who is um, saying what about this stuff? Like, like, I don't think Elizondo has ever directly contradicted Tom. I could be wrong, but, um, you know, he said, you know, he's kind of a bull in a china shop type of thing. But I don't think he's ever come out and said Tom was wrong on this, you know. I think Tom might just say it in a more, uh, you know, reckless way, but uh, that's kind of what he does. So, about a reckless abandon, one for exactly. the fans there. Yeah, there exactly. you go. Pops in my head. Yeah. Um, listen, a lot of questions came in, and there's a lot of things I want to follow up on with you. So, JD on YouTube asked. Um, one to talk about your personal experiences with the phenomenon, and and you've done that. Um, JD, I'm. I think. F- girl so i'm going to say she uh, said you got a very informed mind what do you think the phenomenon is is that something even yet in your research you're thinking you're writing you've been able to put down in a few sentences or you know a statement what is the phenomenon yeah that's uh i i have no idea um but you know i like i said the kind of um I think it's something that that we don't really we can't really understand right now. Um, I think 
Jim, Jim Slimyman says it a lot that we don't have the ontology to even talk about it. Um, and I think another, another way I like to think about it also is, is how Gary Nolan kind of described it as, you know, we're the ants out in the garden basically. Mm -hmm. And like, how do they communicate with us? Would they even want to? Yeah. Um, would they, um, you know, create a little ant that, that looks like us, um, and try to communicate that way? Would they, uh, you know, try to go through our sensory, uh, apparatus apparatuses or whatever, and, uh, electromagnetically try to communicate something to us that way. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I think it's so abstract from a human perspective. But I think it's, I think they are trying to interact with us in some way that let's just say, I, I don't think it's ET. <laughs> that's, that's, you know, you can kind of filter things out based on what you know. And that, that's kind of one of the things I'm leaning away from. So yeah, I, I, I think, think of it more like everything on the table and you start pulling stuff off, uh, you know, the more you learn. That's, that's kind of my, my way of looking at it. First thing on that, would you completely remove ET from the table altogether in in the UFO topic? Do you think that's something that needs to be taken off, or do you think there's an element of it? Uh, no, I don't think it needs to be taken off. Um, I think it might be irrelevant. Okay. Uh, so say you know, uh, say a life form evolved here, became intelligent, you know, a billion years ago, and then took off because of a cataclysm or something. Yeah. And then we grew up like here as humans. And now we are quote unquote, top of the food chain. Mm -hmm. And then they come back and they've been living on another planet this whole time. Is that ET? Um, so that that's kind of the, it might not matter. This, uh, this categorization we, we try to put on this stuff. I think it, I think it's probably more complicated than aliens or not. You know. I think you see that in your writing and your articles where it's you'd, a lot of crypto terrestrial stuff and you yeah, know, yeah yeah that's a that's a fun one uh, that's up there for me too um, it's definitely interesting so let's just talk about that now anyway what do you make of the the crypto angle and that's what you're talking about and for for you for anyone listening again people newer to the subject might be listening to this podcast for the first second third time and be introduced to you what is a crypto terrestrial um See, that's the thing is that with these definitions, it's, it, it could mean something different. Um, What's your definition of it? Because that's, that's a fair, fair it is, Yeah, it is, uh, I would say, indigenous to, the, to Earth um, is probably the main, the main definition. Uh, yeah. It, I actually broke down kind of the whole definition of crypto. <laughs> um, and it basically means hidden. And um, a big... A big piece of the lore is that they they live underground, and you know have developed there, I guess, and kind of like a subterranean civilization. Um, and some people, you know, it kind of ties in with cryptids like Bigfoot and yeah. and that kind of thing. Um, but what I think is most likely, and this is where I, this is a big one where I try to tie in the, the recent science with you know the the kind of lore. Um, is that you know we have these recent um, these recent discoveries that they're making with hominins from you know 
hundreds of thousands of years ago. And this I was going to ask of, you that, yeah. Yeah. So this this was kind of what got me really into the crypto thing was just um this species Homo naledi um was it, it was discovered I think back in the like back in like 2013 or something. I'm probably totally wrong off the top of my head, but um it was I think in December of 2022 uh they finally got um, down into the caves that they were ex- excavating for this um, hominin species. They, they finally were able to, you know, enter these certain caverns mm. um, in the, at the uh, archaeological site. And they found out that the species was harnessing fire. Um, and essentially, it was, an, it was a burial, uh, burial ground, essentially. And they were postulating that the species had symbolic thought um, and like, you know, funerary uh, customs and culture, essentially. Uh, so I was trying to like square that with like what Homo sapiens were doing around that time. Mm-hmm. And the article stated that, you know, Homo naledi was probably, you know, using fire alongside us <laughs> yeah. uh, essentially before us. So fire is, you know, harnessing fire is basically kind of a technology. So yeah. if we had, and it, and it tied in with um, kind of Graham Hancock's theory about, you know, an ancient civilization living next to a more primitive one. Um, and that's kind of what, what he bases this whole thing on where, um, you know, all these ancient structures and stuff were built by a more advanced civilization. Uh, so I kind of took that and applied it to this and it kind of fit, uh, like the puzzle pieces. Um, so from there, I just, I just kind of took it a little bit further in one of my articles. And now they're actually, I think in June, they're, they're releasing all their, all their papers, like peer reviewed papers on Homo naledi. Um, and there's apparently some pretty wild, discoveries uh that are going to be coming out and one of them um i don't i don't think a lot of people have seen this video but uh it's uh this anthropologist john hawks works with um lee berger is the main anthropologist on it and then he's co-writing a book on homo naledi with john hawks called uh cave of bones and john hawks uh in february gave this presentation uh, it's it's pretty amazing, um, kind of previewing what they what they found, and um, they basically found evidence that Homo naledi was using uh, tools to dig deeper into this cave. They were they were using fire to light their way and digging deeper into this cave, you know, using tools that they made. So if you know you know if that's not kind of like the start of a book on crypto terrestrials. I don't know what it is. You know? Yeah. So it's kind of um, those, those kind of patterns are like, hmm, what is possible when you extrapolate it from, from here? Um, that, that's kind of what, where my thoughts go. So for yeah. me, I, I can see that. I can see that there was another civilization alongside us, another type of human, humanoid, whatever you want to call it. Sorry, my dog's barking. No, that's all right. Get him involved. But how, or can you, 
get from there where something else potentially left or some people would say it was still here whatever that may be to the idea then that there is this other which is manipulating us and using you know tom's talk tom delong's talked about you know the power of love and being jealous of us having a soul (laughs) is that not then another offshoot of the whole conversation where something else is involved in this or do you think that's related to these other civilizations that could have been around maybe just before us um it could be yeah so yeah this is where i you know and maybe i'm i'm kind of lazy for not committing to one thing but uh this is where it's like all options are on the table you know and i and i because you know if i'd run out of shit to write about (laughs) (laughs) but I only really write about stuff that I think is actually possible based on the stuff that I'm, that I'm researching. Uh, but they, is that a line for you then that the idea of other entities being jealous of us having souls and free will and (laughs) no, no, it's not actually. I mean, um, that, that, I think that whole part of it is, uh, is kind of more AI based, um, where, you know, these, and it's definitely a more spiritual thing. So it's like the evidence, uh, idea of evidence kind of gets, um, tossed out the window with the, with the soul thing. I mean, you know, the, there's quantum mechanics and all that kind of stuff, which I do try to research and connect to it, but I can't really understand much of it because it's, you know, it's quantum mechanics. Um, but that, that part of it, the, um, it, it would kind of make sense to me if if a, if a soul was real, and it, it incarnates over and over, and then you have these, um, you know, these nuts and bolts AI machines uh, that you know basically fall apart over time. Um, it would make sense that they w- might be trying to figure out how to, you know, take what we have and apply it to their own. Uh, physical bodies, I guess. Uh, obviously, that's totally out there, but uh, I don't know. We'll get to that a little bit more in a second with another question, sure. but um, talking about that parasitic beings angle, uh, a listener on YouTube, Uwu, asked, is that something you would plan on researching, the whole idea of parasitic beings and manipulation of an others, or is that still, is that hard to quantify for you in terms of here's the evidence of it? No, because, <laughs> uh, you know, it, there are parasites. They exist um, on our planet. It, it, uh, there are articles, you know, essentially saying that th- these, like, it's just, it's as simple as, hey, rabies exists and it can make you angry. It can mm-hmm. make you aggressive. So there is a parasite or, um, you know, a virus that can make change your behavior. Yeah. Like that exists. So, you know. Is it, is there one that is perhaps conscious? Like what is consciousness? And then it, it, it's that kind of, you know, thought, uh, uh, extrapolation, I guess, where it's, you, you just keep asking questions based on the question before it. And, um, maybe it takes you somewhere, maybe it doesn't, but that's, that's kind of really how you build, build the, the house or whatever. 
So you mentioned yes. before about the, the, the beings potentially, and I'm going to talk about great aliens. Question from Newman, who always sends in some really good thought-provoking questions. He asks, what are Klaus's thoughts on the reason behind the neo-human appearance of the great aliens? And he adds specifically, what do you think of Dr. Michael Masters' future time-traveling human hypothesis versus Richard Dolan's speculation and alien agendas that instead an abductor uh, abducted ancient human group was evolved by non-humanoids as intermediaries to conduct work on Earth versus the crypto-terrestrial hypothesis. I hope I've read that in a way that it makes sense. Yeah, I'm not too familiar with Dolan's. Um, I do know, I did read Michael Masters' uh, identif- uh, it Identified Flying Objects. Yes. Um, yeah, and that... That really made sense to me. Uh, he's a smart guy. He, I think he got that book peer-reviewed, if I'm not mistaken, um, which is pretty cool, <laughs> something like that. Uh, but I think, yeah, that makes sense to me. If you, Again, if you extrapolate what we look like at this point um, and, you know, you go based off the cases that, mm-hmm. you know, and the descriptions from those, it, it would make sense that it could be future human that, and they would look like you know what we would look like if we uh you know evolved in that way from now so that does make sense to me um i think when it comes to grays the the kind of the gary nolan hypothesis makes the most sense to me that they're trying to meet us where we are they're trying to construct something that looks enough like us to where they uh, it doesn't freak us out, but but just different enough to where uh, we know they're different. As um, in, let's create and as he mentioned avatars, didn't he? Yeah, Something else, exactly. sending avatars that mm-hmm. and your your ideas that you think are uh, give it a head, give it two arms, two hands, yeah. two legs, two feet, a body. They'll get the rough idea that we're yeah. you know that's that's what they look like to us. So right, they're trying to communicate that that they understand what we look like. Um, and like what, what kind of, you know, physical, um, being we would interact with like another human kind of thing. So there, and, uh, and it's, he also says that it's almost like a, an, an intelligence test to see if we can recognize these beings for what they are and recognize this intelligence for what it's trying to communicate to us. Um, I think, I think it would make sense that the, the gray alien would represent that. Well, I've got um, Dr. Michael Masters and Richard Dolan both on the podcast uh, later on this month. So for anyone who's got any questions for both, uh, Michael Masters has been on before. He's coming back on to discuss his new book, which is very different from his first, but um, pretty interesting. I've only managed to skim it so far, but I've got time to read it before the interview. And then finally... A lot of a lot of cases in it. I think it's a, a pretty thorough case study. I think that's the difference. Uh, he's, um, oh, his new book. His yeah, new his book. new one. Yeah, his yeah, new one's a. It's a. Yeah, it's non-fiction, it but it's like it, yeah, it's 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 written like a script. So mm-hmm. it's the people talking oh, to each cool. other, and he's using yeah using stories to tell what the ideas are it's all there and if people read the blurb i'm bastardizing it by doing that but yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> i always bastardize stuff when i try to talk about yeah, it yeah it's why awful I, that's why i write 
So I, I have yeah, everything. Don't put out. me on the spot. That's my job <laughs> on this, yeah. And uh, yeah. and Richard Dolan finally is coming on the podcast as well. But that's, that's a race awesome. for later on in the month. So I'm looking forward to finally uh, speaking to Richard. Um, cool. Newman also asked, "What is Klaus' opinion on the ET influence during World War Two?" And he adds, "Linda Moulton Howe claimed during one of our Earth Files episodes that World War Two is one of the first ET instigated wars on planet Earth." See, this is where my line starts to blur. Um, this yeah. is both hilariously absurd, but also scary to think of, effectively suggesting that certain odd obsessions of the national socialists, um, like the Nazi bell, racial traits, etc., came from their leadership having received a visit from the tall whites. Obviously, feel free to answer the question, but again, for me, that's when a line starts to blur between what really goes on, and uh, that sounds a bit fanciful. Um, Yeah, that's that's tough. Uh, So I guess I don't know if you know that, like that attack, the uh, the Mussolini um, crash. I guess from from nineteen thirty three, which was uh, the fascist UFO files. I guess they called it. Uh, right. Yeah. It's written by or not written by, but it was researched by uh, I guess Ro- Roberto Panati. He's a ICER guy. Um, yes. Yep. Yeah, I think he wrote it for John Greenwald's website, actually. Um, but essentially, and I think Chris Sharp touched on it too. But Yeah, do you know what? I had reached out to Roberto, I think, through Philip Mantle to tr- mm-hmm. potentially come on the podcast at some point because he'd written yeah. on the Italian. Yes, that's what I know it from. He's a, I think he's got a case book on Italian UFO history. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a really interesting case. And I think if you're um, if you're really going to dive into that, that that's kind of where you have to start is, is in 1933, apparently. There's some uh, cables or, or um, telegraphs between um, Mussolini's cabinet um, and about about a crash saucer. So that's kind of where, like, a lot of people say it starts rather than like Roswell or um, you know Trinity. Uh, I was I was dreading you saying Trinity because I've not addressed that one yet after the <laughs> the recent D. Dean Johnson uh, articles. Yeah, that that's a tough one right now. Um, I'm I'm kind of up in the air about that, but uh, I think, yeah, I don't know. They're, they're pretty damning, aren't they? They're pretty damning of the case from the yeah, I, the extensive I, work done. Yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a tough one, but um, yeah. As far as as far as the war goes, it's it's you know it's covered in secret machines pretty pretty thoroughly. Um, like the whole Operation Paperclip thing is was very real. Uh, obviously, I mean now it's being admitted to, but um, it was. I think it's a huge part of the cover up and our current, you know, our aerospace programs were basically infested with fascist ideology, and <laughs> and uh, it's it's really uncomfortable to talk about a lot of the time. Operation Paperclip and you know all, all that, yeah, yeah. Um, which is why I'm glad Tom did it in in the way he did in a fictional way, um, and I I like that. Uh, I, I, if you've never read um, the Hunt for Zero Point, uh, it's a really good book. Nick Nick Cook dives into a lot of the nitty gritty of that too, and it's actually funny because I'm pretty sure Tom took the um, the henge structure that Nick Cook visits in in Hunt for Zero Point. Um, there's a henge structure which he kind of insinuates is connected to the Nazi bell anti-gravity craft. Um, 
and essentially I think Tom took that that hand structure and that the mine setting from you know that Nick Cook uh, described mm-hmm. in Hunt for Zero Point and just put it into Secret Machines. Uh, it's described exactly the same way. It's it's pretty cool. Um, going to follow on uh, with Dave Smethers asked a lot of questions and Dave I'm going to keep some of these for uh, hopefully Klaus coming back on in the very very near future to do a follow up because I have a ton of stuff still to get through Um, uh, but Dave asks him what does Klaus think of the idea of a regular cataclysm cycle on earth if yes do you think the government knows do you think so the occupants of the UAP know you maybe touched on that a little bit before when you mentioned a civilization getting mm. away because of a cataclysm um are they collaborating to save us and would this explain the UFO secrecy uh yeah so that's that's a really interesting subject is the the circular cyclical um cataclysm thing uh that kind of t- ties in with time and what is time is mm. it linear is a circular or cyclical or whatever, but, um, I think it's definitely a possibility. Um, there's, you know, it's all, this is all speculation obviously. And it, and it's tough when you're not a scientist to kind of hammer this stuff down in a way that like people would take seriously. Um, I mean, I'm not in anything and here I am talking to all <laughs> people like yourself about me it. Too, so, man. you know, yeah, me too. Um, but, I think it's definitely an interesting theory. I think it's been talked about a lot by, um, you know, Tom has said, uh, you know, civilizations kind of rise and fall potentially in cycles. Um, you know, maybe this is all just a test or, you know, some sort of experiment that starts over every, however many 10, 12,000 years. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, maybe someone figured that out and figured out how to get off in time, you know, and chilled out somewhere else while it, while it went down and now they're coming back or something like that. I don't see. So wait a second. So mm-hmm. you're saying that someone else, the previous civilization could have potentially figured out that there was a cycle of cataclysms and let's, let's get off before the planet blows up this time or the ice yeah. age happens. Mm-hmm. Would that then suggest that there was something else causing the cataclysms or that those occurred, natu- those occurred naturally? Yeah, it could occur naturally. Um, again, I'll quote Tom. He says it all the time. <clears throat> uh, he says it has to come out because it's nature. And I, I kind of connect that to uh, perhaps cataclysms of, of some kind. If it's if it's just naturally happening, um, say like planet nine or whatever, uh, you know, comes around every once 12,000 years or so and rips off the, you know, uh, magnetic earth's magnetic field and you know everything gets completely screwed up and you know everything starts over um what can we do about that that's just nature you know it's uh um but yeah that's that's kind of what i was thinking that maybe you know an older civilization figured figured out when that planet was coming or when whatever happens happened and um got off and you know like come back basically and that kind of ties in with the the greek god thing that tom says that that you know they left after or left before a cataclysm and hung out in an, at an outpost in the solar system um so that kind of jives with what he says too so who knows i want, man? I, want to, <laughs> well, I mean someone hopefully knows but yeah, yeah. It's, it's fun to talk about um 
I want to hopefully make this not your last appearance and let get you back on soon to dive into more specific yeah. areas and a bit more detail. So to start wrapping up, what what right now is happening that's got your your most interest? So like literally today as we're speaking, the NASA conference is wrapping up, mm-hmm. um, which has actually seemed, I don't know if you caught any of it, but from what I managed to see, it was a lot more positive than I expected it to be. Um, yeah. And that seems to be a lot of the consensus from a quick look on the socials as well, that people are going, ah, okay, this, this might actually have something to it. It might have legs. Um, you've got your Gary Nolans talking about, you know, stuff to come, whistleblowers down the line, um, or witnesses, as Stephen, Gre- uh, Stephen Greer, Stephen Bassett said, God forbid I called them whistleblowers. He wasn't happy with that one. Um Oh right. Yeah. yeah what's um what what's on the horizon for you that you're most looking forward to as such? Hopefully not a cataclysm. Yeah, right. Uh I don't you know, there's a lot of chatter about the summer. So whatever that is, I guess. Um yeah, that's the I guess whistleblowers are the main um rumor. Uh but yeah. What do you see? What do you see? And I asked Dan this last week on the, the uh, breakdown show. Realistically, what is what is the best case scenario then for you coming out of the summer? Where do you think we realistically could be? Um there would probably have to be someone on the record who, you know, had had proof that they worked on one of these programs, these these crash retrieval programs. Um that would be cool. Um, another interesting thing I think people should look out for was actually what Gary Nolan announced at that SALT conference, which was a, a 501c3, I think it's called. Um, you know, an, an organization where he's going to try to actually, you know, get donations and, you know, fund, uh, like, write grants and, uh, and fund some actual research on this stuff. Um, you know, and he's talked in the past about writing papers on more out there stuff like remote viewing and that kind of thing. And so mm. if they actually kind of get funding for, you know, the more, uh, out there stuff, that would be really cool to see start take shape. Um, and yeah, just this NASA thing was, you know, huge, just symbolically and just for academia in general, just taking it seriously. Um, I, you know, the content I have problems with, but, uh, you know, they're, they're wondering why there's stigma when it's been 80 years of this shit, you know, you're the public face of this, like you you should know, but that's what I think is um, really important though for the UFO community is that, you know, these people, they really like, they're like, we want to start from ground zero. Um, and then they spend 30 minutes asking where ground zero is. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like you, you need help. You need direction from people who've been studying this for a while. Um, and I've only been doing it for, you know, not that long compared to a lot of other people in the community. So um, there's only so much they can do on their own without, you know, being being told where to look essentially. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of talk about like needle in the haystack and we don't even know what the needle looks like or, you know, that kind of thing. It's like, okay, so then ask someone who might be able to help basically. Um, but yeah, no, that NASA thing is, is cool. 
And I guess they said they're going to have a report out by the end of July. So I have that to look forward to, too. Well, you find a needle in a haystack, but you can find your articles on Substack. Um, which are, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, there nice. we go. Um, yeah, I'm good at that. Um, that's the only thing I'm good at. But for, for <laughs> listeners, how can they find you? Because one, you've just got a podcast out, which is good timing because uh, you, you never had that on 31st of March when we're going to do this. Um, yeah. Also, you've got the articles as well, which I'm subscribed to. And if you've got any interest in reading about this subject and just some of the ideas that I've literally only touched on with Klaus, I plan to go deeper on a few things down the line um but how can people follow your work how can they listen to your work how can they read your work yeah you can um follow me on twitter at tiny klaus t-i-n-y-k-l-a-u-s um yeah i'll tell you the origin of that name next time (laughs) (laughs) and then uh yeah tinyklaus.com is my Substack. i got a custom domain so just yeah redirects there um and yeah, and I'm, I, I'm doing a kind of podcast thing, I guess. I'm, I'm just throwing it out there right now and seeing what the interest level is and, you know, seeing if I can, uh, see if I can handle it, first of all, because you got a full-time job and writing all this stuff. But uh, yeah, that's, um, it's called Patterns Tell Stories and it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Um, it's just a yeah, small project right now, but we'll see what happens, I guess. So, yeah. Well, listen, you mentioned you've not been doing this in the grand scheme of things for too long, so we can consider you new blood, a new voice, a new face in the topic, <laughs> much as myself or, or Dan, Chris Sharp, sorry to leave out so many others, Vinny Adams and Graham Rendell have been in this subject in recent years, um, and there's so many more people within that as well that there are people that have done this for decades and decades and decades and have laid so much groundwork and people need to carry on that work in whatever way the conversation goes. So your contributions have been massive so far for someone like myself and I know many others. So thank you for doing the work you do. It's good. It's appreciated. And it, it leaves food for thought, which I really enjoy in this topic. And you can read it and go, I like that. I agree with it. I don't agree with that, but it makes you think. And that's yeah. that's always necessary. And you don't you don't force those views or opinions on other people that this is definitely right and this is why. It's just here's something I thought, here's what I've researched, here's what I'm putting out there, and go make up your own mind. So I think that's a really good way forward. Yeah. I don't think there's really any other way to do it. I, I have a hard time when people say definitively, this is what it is. It's like how do you how do you know that? You don't know that. <laughs> my next podcast well, um, is um how close is wrong uh and i'm going to be <laughs> i was going to drop in a five parter next week um perfect. yeah yeah no, I'm, I'm, it's an honor to be on here uh you were the first first guy i listened to um in the podcast world when it came to the subject god help you <laughs> <laughs> I love your show, actually man. start the bar low and work your way up that's probably a good idea so yeah <laughs> But no, it's been good having you on and sorry it's taken so long. A lot of people have asked me about this several times about when is Klaus coming on, when's it coming on, but it's done, it's here and hopefully this is just part one of of several more at least to come. So yeah, go check out his work and thanks for joining us, Klaus. Yep. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see.
UFO podcast is sponsored by Zencaster. Zencaster is the all-in-one podcasting platform that allows you to remotely record and produce your show with the highest quality audio and video. All from the main dashboard, you can find a full suite of professional tools to get your show created and published in the easiest way possible. You'll always sound at your best as Zencaster's post-production takes the headache out of audio production, setting your loudness and levels while reducing background noise with one click. Zencaster records video up to 4K to give you the perfect picture quality, whether you're in a shed or a studio. Then Zencaster will distribute your video podcast in crisp 1080p to all video podcast players. The biggest feature for me folks as I get the local file recording from each guest so their audio always comes through as best as it can regardless of any choppy internet connections go to zencaster.com slash pricing and use code UFO podcast and you'll get 40% off your first three months of Zencaster professional I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs it's time to share your story